Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, there's Mr. Scott Wallace that will join us to discuss the unconquered. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, in his new book, The Unconquered, author Scott Wallace tells the extraordinary tale of a journey into the deepest recesses of the Amazon to track one of the planet's last uncontacted indigenous tribes, the Flesheros, or the People of the Arrow. This seldom glimpsed tribe of deft archers known to defend their lands with showers of deadly arrows before melting back into the forest shadows. And we're very pleased to welcome Mr. Wallace to the Grok Science Show. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Really a fascinating book you've written, The Unconquered, in search of the Amazon's last uncontacted tribes. And how did the, this all come about? <laughs> Very spur of the moment, I got a call from National Geographic. Uh, they asked me if I was available and willing to head off on this journey. Um, the The original purpose was to profile uh, a man named Sidney Posuelo, who at the time was the head of the curiously named Department of Isolated Indians within Brazil's Indian Affairs Agency. And Posuelo was about to depart on an open-ended journey into the depths of the Amazon to chart the territory of this group, the Flecheros, the people of the Arrow. And so um, the Geographic uh, asked me if I was available, and um, I had to really throw my life to the <laughs> I had to I had to you know my life was thrown into disarray I accepted the assignment and I was on the plane within five days heading to the Amazon I, I gather Sidney Pozuelo is somewhat uh, obsessive uh, what was it like spending time with him yeah well so Pozuelo is an extraordinary character he uh, really led this change in Brazil's uh, policy toward its uncontacted tribes. Uh, previously, for the previous 100 years or so, uh, Brazil's Indian Protection Service had sent men like Posuelo, who are called sertanistas, basically means backwoodsmen. They would send uh, these um, Indian rights activists, explorers, deep into the jungle to seek out the uncontacted tribes of the Amazon and lure them to civilization with showers of gifts and uh, make peaceful contact with these groups in order to move them out of the way of the advancing frontier. Um, and Posuelo led a change in the policy from going out there to make contact with these tribes to save them, um, supposedly to save them, to leaving them alone, saving them by not contacting them, because he saw that every time even a peaceful contact um, was followed um, always by decimating uh, diseases for which the Indians have no immunity, the germs that we have. So he led this policy single-handedly, really, and he is a, um, you know, as you would expect, a very um, kind of single-minded, determined um, 
man who can be also very temperamental and explosive and unpredictable and um, kind of difficult to spend uh, a good bit of time with in the wilderness, um, kind of rules with an iron fist, but um, an amazing character. And the team itself was composed of, of several other uh, members of the team, about 34 members of the team or so. One of them was named Valdici Rios? Yes, known as Soldado by all of us, the soldier. <laughs> yeah, he was... Soldado was um, my closest friend and Pozuelo's most trusted scout, a mixed-blooded, um, what they call in Brazil, Ribeirinho, or dweller of the, you know, uh, uh, of um, a riverine community um, in the Amazon, uh, an amazing, you know, character. Um, at the time, was 43 years old and just knew how to do everything in the forest. But he was one of, as you said, 34 men, which included actually 20. Indians from three friendly or contacted tribes um, who were also excellent backwoodsmen. And then, uh, like Soldado, um, there were like a dozen of these mixed-blooded or what they call in Brazil white, culturally white, meaning non-Indian frontiersmen. So it was really like this Lewis and Clark style expedition where we had indigenous scouts and backwoodsmen and, you know, some officials, including Pozuelo from Brasilia. What is the state of those those tribes? I mean, it's sort of hard to believe in this day and age that there's virgin territories that are somewhat unspoiled, but how much is civilization encroaching on them? Yeah, no, very good question, and um, very amazing indeed that they, these groups still do hold forth in the deepest stretches of the Amazon. In fact, in Brazil, um, the work of Pozuelo's department, the Department of Isolated Indians, um, through their work, they have actually identified and confirmed the existence of 26 uncontacted groups in Brazil. And um, some of them are doing quite well and others are uh, in much more tenuous, um, you know, kinds of situations. Uh, the Arrow people, the land, um, the, 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 the people whose land we traversed um, are doing, I think uh, it's fair to say, quite well. Uh, their lands are um, very difficult to access. It took us a great deal of effort to get into their territory. And, um, uh, but other groups are um, fleeing from, you know, the advance of the frontier, um, are finding themselves kind of uh, in very, in, in a situation where the noose is tightening around their lands, encroachment by loggers, prospectors, uh, oil and gas exploration teams, uh, even adventure travelers looking for, you know, excitement, all these kinds of groups uh, represent a threat to the uncontacted tribes. Uh, well, your book takes us on a really a journey through backwoods of the Amazon, but what was sort of your overall impressions of it and the, the challenges that you faced? Well, it was uh, a, a, an incredible, life-changing event, I'd say, uh, to be in the wilderness, in this virgin wilderness for three months, really out of touch with civilization. Uh, the expedition unfolded in a number of different phases, beginning with a um, two-week uh two weeks going up a river, which is a, a tributary of a tributary of the Amazon, deep into this wilderness known as the Javari Valley. Um, and as we went up this river in a series of boats in a flotilla and eventually changed from larger river boats to shallow draft uh, skiffs, um, we, we 
essentially threaded the needle between a couple of different uncontacted tribes known as, you know, violent uh, and implacable warriors who defend their land from intrusions with, um, on the on one bank of the river, we had the, um, you know, the, the Karubo, um, the head bashers who use clubs to, um, to attack unsuspecting intruders. And on the other side, we had the arrow people with their showers of deadly arrows, which they're known to use to defend their lands. But, um, we went as far upriver as we could go in these boats and then left the boats behind. They turned back and we began this overland trek uh, into very densely forested uh, terrain, the birthplace of four different river systems. So we were crossing very rugged uh, territory, steep uh, hollows and ravines and ridge lines. Um, where four separate rivers are born. Um, it's, you know, it was an amazing experience, but a grueling one, very difficult. And there was really a hazard. There were hazards at every step from, you know, snakes to, uh, branches with long spikes on them that could impale an eyeball with, uh, in a moment of uh, carelessness. So you have to be on your game at every moment. And I, I gathered that uh, you weren't really accompanied by any medical staff. Wasn't that uh, <laughs> somewhat... That's correct. Yeah, there was no medical staff. Uh, we had a first aid kit. <laughs> there was a general anti-venom, um, uh, which, you know, might have helped or might not have, depending on how what kind of snake anyone might have been bit uh, by. Uh, there was no possibility for an evacuation, really. We were in closed canopy jungle. Um, the, uh, our um, communications with the outside world were extremely tenuous, and the nearest helicopter in any case is probably a 1,000 miles away, so it would have been um, unrealistic to expect any kind of evacuation from the area we were in. So that was really uh, putting yourself out into really the middle of uh, the wilderness. Indeed, as probably about as far as you can get in this day and age from, um, you know, from a um, from an outpost of civilization, if you will. Um, tell us about the Arrow people. So, um, first of all, we don't know. Uh, what they actually call themselves. They are referred to as the arrow people or the flecheros because they have bow and arrows and they are known to use those to deadly effect to defend their territory. Um, we don't know what ethnicity they belong to or what language they speak. Um, that you know a great deal about them is um, is a mystery uh we do know that they occupy the headwaters of a couple of adjacent um rivers and streams um and that they have clashed uh violently in the past with loggers who have come up into their territory um Nobody knows how many uh, Indians may have died in those clashes, but several loggers have over the years. Um, they have now been expelled from that territory, so um, they they now appear, the Arrow people now appear to be reconstituting themselves and doing quite well in isolation. Um, the Arrow people, by the way, like other indigenous groups that are um, still uncontacted in the Western Amazon are believed to be the descendants of the survivors of um, massacres and bloody clashes with 
outsiders um, dating back to the 19th century or, or earlier who deliberately, after surviving uh, massacres, maybe, you know, they scattered into the deepest redoubts of the Amazon and um, reconstituted themselves in the in these very remote redoubts that are um, very difficult to penetrate. And uh, almost nobody does, first of all, because um, it's so difficult to get in there. And secondly, because these groups do have such a violent reputation that, um, you know, they, they, um, the reputation precedes them, as it, as, as it were. Um, it tends to keep people away. And um, how, how do they survive? Are they uh, pretty much living off the land? Um, they are. You know, some of the uh, some uncontacted groups, like um, more re very recently, in fact, new photographs have been released of Moscow Pito Indians in Peru, uncontacted Moscow Pitos who have appeared on riverbanks uh, lately um, during the latest uh, dry season down there. Um, those are nomadic. Uh, hunter-gatherers, but the Arrow people, from what we could tell, um, are pretty, uh, you know, are maybe semi-nomadic, but they have pretty large gardens. Um, they feel, evidently feel secure enough to maintain a, at least a semi-sedentary way of life that allows them to grow crops in addition to uh, hunt. But, you know, the, the important thing is that they are completely self-sufficient. So the mission was to avoid contact, but in order to in order to protect their lands, their presence on that land has to be well documented. Uh, the pressure on indigenous lands in the Amazon is incredibly intense. Resources elsewhere in the Amazon have been depleted, and you will find that by and large, the, the, the largest areas of untapped resources, whether it's timber, oil and gas, minerals like gold, um, are um, on indigenous lands, and many of these lands um, harboring uncontacted groups. And the only way to get legal protection for those lands to keep intruders out is by proving and documenting the existence of the indigenous tribes on those lands. And in order to be able to do that, you have to go in under the jungle canopy into their land um, to make those kinds of um, uh, evaluations and to and to detect their presence and to chart not only where you know their their clearing is and where they have their houses, but where the extent of their an, annual wanderings. And what, that's what we were in there doing, um, is trying to ascertain the extent of their wanderings without physically making contact with them. This must, of course, be a very challenging situation in, in Brazil as it is anywhere, is the trade-off between environmental needs and the, the need for resources. I mean, how is it really playing out in Brazil? Yeah, well, Brazil is an interesting country because there's, I would, I would say that there is, you know, deep ambivalence uh, in Brazil about both about, you know, its wilderness, protecting its wilderness, and about uh, the indigenous tribes that uh, inhabit a great deal of that wilderness. Uh, on the one hand, there is a, a strong civil society in Brazil, a strong environmental protection movement, um, 
strong tradition inside the government itself of um, environmental protection and protection of Indian rights. Uh, but then you have, um, you know, very um, a, a, a groundswell of nationalism and of, um, you know, voices um, clamoring for development to lift Brazil out of its, um, you know, traditional poverty. And the voices that are clamoring for development see the Amazon as this vast untapped resource that needs to be tamed. So um, that you have this kind of – you have this uh, – going on in Brazil between those two camps. So what's really being done, to, if anything's been done, to raise awareness of, of this issue? Well, you know, Pozuelo is quite adept at um, bringing these issues to the attention of the media. So I think that's, for example, probably why he invited National Geographic to go along on, uh, on the journey that I uh, participated in. Uh, there are you know, campaigns going on all the time. Greenpeace Brazil, which is fully staffed by Brazilians, has a very effective um, campaign and office based in Manaus on the Amazon River. Um, and they've done a lot of work, um, not only in terms of publicity to draw attention to rainforest issues and indigenous rights issues, but actually in uh, assisting uh, Brazil's um, Environmental Protection Agency in um, operations to bust illegal uh, loggers and gold miners. Um, you know, so there's a fair amount of uh, attention that's paid in Brazil to these issues, uh, but then the other side, too, um, they're very effective at getting their message out as well. What, based on your experience there, do you think really is the prognosis for um, the state of these tribes? That's a good question. Uh, I would say that, um, you know, it's, a, it's an uphill battle. Uh, we know right now that um, the current government in Brazil of uh, President Dilma Rousseff uh, is committed to uh, building um, an unprecedented, really, series of dams along some of the main rivers in the Amazon, uh, the Xingu River, where the controversial Belo Monte uh, Dam is under construction, and a series of dams on the Madeira River out toward Bolivia. Uh, these uh, large infrastructure projects are going to mean uh, the inundation of indigenous lands, the influx of huge numbers of outsiders coming for to look for work uh, in the Amazon, um, the spread of uh, disease and malaria, um, vast um, swaths of the Amazon uh, being um, flooded and cut down to make way for uh, the dams, for the reservoirs, for the power lines that will take this power to um, wherever it's going to be consumed. Um, all these things are, um, you know, threatened to carve up the the forest and to um, to flush out of the deep jungle uh, the tribes that remain um, there. So I would say, you know, in some instances, the tribes um, enjoy protections. Their lands are, um, you know, uh, illegally recognized, um, and in others, the situation is not so great. Even tribes that have been, whose lands have been recognized for um, a number of years face the prospect of having um, territory flooded by some of these new dams. Um, so, um, you know, it's, there's, there's cause for alarm, I'd say. You've been on a really uh, a journey through uh, the Amazon. What were your impressions of it? Uh, probably the most hair-raising moments, and uh, what the messages you'd like people to know about? We were in a territory that is 
unique and fantastic. We saw incredible wildlife, river dolphins, monkeys all through the treetops, um, herds of wild boar, um, fresh jaguar prints um, on a near daily basis. This is an area that's vibrant, vital, wild, primordial, and needs to be protected. I think that, um, and that also harbors, you know, several uncontacted tribes. This is a um, jewel, a um, a treasure that the world should um, encourage Brazil to protect and um, to, to see that this lasts um, way into the future. These kinds of territories are really special and um, to have the privilege of trekking through this primordial forest where canopy trees rise off the forest floor like Roman columns and these huge trunks, you know, hundreds of years old and soar up into the canopy and vanish up there where very diffused light filters down in green and yellow and barely penetrates down into the forest floor. It's just, uh, first of all, it's, it is a harrowing experience because you have the sense that, um, you know, your life could be snatched from you at any moment. But on the other hand, it's just a privilege and a fantastic experience as well. And I hope in The Unconquered, my book, I've um, managed to capture, you know, quite a bit of the flavor of that. The new book is called The Unconquered, In Search of the Amazon's Last Uncontacted Tribes, and the author is Mr. Scott Wallace. Mr. Wallace, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.